In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second Sunday of the Resurrection, uh, where Christ uh, speaks to us about how He is the bread of life, and through eating of Him, we have life in ourselves. And He expresses that His purpose is to do the will of the Father. In everything that he does, his purpose is to do the will of the Father. He says in John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is um, a very difficult thing sometimes for us to do because God has given us a will. Um, un unlike animals that really have no will, they, they simply operate based on instinct. But yet God has given us a will and then he said he wants us to subdue our will to his will. It is not that we are like robots, that we have no will or no opinions or no desires. We have a will. And yet God says he wants us to make our will <clears throat> like his will. And he wants us to, even when his will contradicts our will, that we cancel our will and we go with his will. And we desire to walk with him in joy that we are doing his will and not our own. And we pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Let your will and not my will be done. Let your will be done. So we have to see here this example even in Christ himself who is the son of God and yet he even gives us this example. He's saying, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, meaning he is not coming on earth to spare himself, but he is coming on earth to sacrifice himself according to the will of the Father for the salvation of the world and he is the bread of life. So if we look in the scriptures and we see what is the will of God, we say that we should be conforming ourselves to the will of God. What is the will of God? Maybe we, we know about this kind of in a, in a general sense when we say we know the will of God. But very often we don't know the will of God. We don't, we're not aware or have it in our mind what is the will of God. So I'm going to look specifically at a few things uh, about God's will. Before, one important thing for us to always keep in mind related to the will of God is that the will of God is based on one central purpose, which is the salvation of man. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, it says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So when we speak about the essence of the will of God, it is the will of God for the salvation of mankind. And every other thing that God speaks about being his will is centered around this idea of salvation for us. So even though we speak about God having a will, for instance, or God has a will about which job that I take, or job, God has a will about which school I go to, or God has a will about who I marry, or God has a will about all kinds of different things in my life, but all of these are subservient to and under the will of God related to the salvation that he wants us to have. Because whether we marry this person or that person or have this job or that job or live in this place or that place, the reason that God would choose for us different things in our life is not because those things in themselves are so important. It's because God knows that certain things might help us or deter us from salvation. And so if he allows me to go through a certain circumstance or live in a certain place or meet certain people, all of that is for the purpose of salvation. Okay, So we have to keep this in mind. Everything that God does, everything related to the will of God is related to his desire for our salvation, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is the will of God? The first uh, point we'll speak about regarding the will of God is he wills for us to be thankful. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is the will of God to always be thankful. Okay, This is because we trust in the work of God. Why is it that we are thankful? We are thankful because we trust in the work of God, because we believe God is present, because we believe God is working. And in this we are thankful. 
We are thankful because he is present and with us and working on our behalf and he is working for our salvation. Ultimately, this is the greatest thanks that we give to God. Again, whether I go through difficulties or disappointments or whatever, the greatest thanks and the way that I continue to give thanks to God regardless of the situations I experience is because I acknowledge the salvation that God is working for me. I acknowledge the sacrifice that God made for me. I acknowledge that I will live with God in eternity. And for this, I am thankful. It is the will of God that we are always thankful. It is not the will of God that we complain. It is not the will of God that we grumble. It is not the will of God that we are negative and we always look toward negative things instead of looking toward positive things. God wants us to orient ourselves such that God is the center of everything and that we see God before us in our work, in our families, in everything that we do and He is more present in our lives than anything else is present. And if really this is what I believe, if I saw Christ physically manifested in front of me, walking with me, then I will always feel comforted, I'd always feel safe, I will always feel thankful because God has chosen to be with me and to communicate with me and to consider me as his son and daughter. So in this way I am thankful. This is the will of God. And this is very much tied up in our faith. We have to believe this about him, that he is present and that he does love us and he has not abandoned us. So we are thankful to God. This is the first point about his will. The second point about his will is that he wills us to be pure. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Sins of impurity separate us from God because God is pure. So when I pursue something that makes me to be impure, I am separated from him. And this is why God does not desire us to be sexually immoral, because it is separation. It is placing another God before him, the desires of the flesh, the desires of myself, before the desires of God. Again, we said, let your will be done, meaning I want your will to be done even when it contradicts my will, even when it contradicts my desires. Okay? God wants to be united with us in a very intimate way, in a way that he is not united with any other creation in a way that he is not united with angels. He wants us to be in communion with him. The angels do not partake of the body and the blood of Christ. They look at this sick sacrifice and this mystery in awe and wonder that we are partaking of God himself and we are so united with him. So when we come to the sacrifice and we come to be united with God, we should struggle and strive for purity because this is what God has said. It is his will. This is the will of God, your sanctification. He wants us to be sanctified. And this is also why in the church we focus very much on the idea of sanctification through the life of the believer. That is, that the life of the believer should be categorized by a process of sanctification. From the moment we are baptized to the moment that we depart from the world, we should be struggling to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit and responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in us to become pure, to become like saints. This is what this is the will of God. He wants us to be pure in heart and pure in mind and pure in our eyes and pure in every way that even though we live in a corrupted and dark world, we are not stained by this world and we are not affected by it so that we continue our love for God and connection with God without any obstacle or barrier. It is also the will of God that we teach others about him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It is, the, it is the will of God that we silence our adversaries by our actions, not just by our words, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Who is the foolish man? 
The foolish men are the ones that deny God and live according to their own understanding, according to their own desires, that do not consider that God is in the picture at all. This could be people who technically believe in God but do not live according to that belief, or it could be people that do not believe in God at all. Maybe some of us have gotten into debates and arguments with people about the existence of God or maybe on TV we see all the people that criticize Christians or there's words that are said back and forth and in the end we see that words are not very effective. Words are not very effective to convince anyone of the existence of God or the truth. That's why here St. Peter is telling us that by doing good you may put the silence, the ignorance of foolish men. It is through our actions. It is not only through our words. When, when people see the real love of a Christian manifested in the world, which is a love that is an otherworldly love. It is not a love that is similar to all the others. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, Christ is saying, what good is it for you if you love those who love you? You know, even sinners do that. Even sinners love those who love them. But you are called to love those who do not love you. You are called to love those who hate you. And this is the kind of love that can put to silence the foolish men. The kind of love that is greater than and higher than the love of the world. The love that is found here that, that we find is normal and natural that maybe we all experience on a day-to-day -day basis with every person, right? That when someone does good to me, I naturally want to do good to them. When someone treats me well, I naturally want to treat them well. And if, if we don't feel that, then that's evil. I mean, we, there is another level of evil, someone who doesn't even want to do good to those who do good to them. But we are not talking just about not being evil. We're talking about transcending even the natural state, the natural way of, of, of just responding the way that I am treated is to go higher than that and to say, I am going to do good even for those who do not do good to me. And in this way, we put the silence, these foolish people that can no longer argue against us. They can no longer say, you know, that your God does not exist. Someone like Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, when... Daniel and his three friends were there in the kingdom. How is it that they ended up convincing him of the existence of God? It was not because of their finely crafted arguments or words. It was because they were thrown in a fiery furnace and they had faith in God so that they would not bow down to the image of gold that he had set up. And it was through observing them and watching them and seeing how God saved and rescued them from the fiery furnace that, that Nebuchadnezzar believed. And he was put to silence and what it is that he had wanted to do because of their actions and not because of their words. Also, the will of God is that we have justice. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? What does it mean to do justly? What does it mean to be just? The foundation of justice is to be able to differentiate between good and evil. To be able to label good as good and to be able to label evil as evil. That we reward the good and we condemn the evil. But if you look in our world, we find that good and evil are blurred together. There is no clear sense of what is good and what is evil. We, we take things that are evil and we refer to them as good and we take things that are good and we talk about them as evil in this world. Okay. In, in Isaiah 5 verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Right? The moral compass uh, of the world is completely out of whack. There, there is no longer a sense of who is the lawgiver, what is the truth, 
what is the good law that it is we should follow, what is it that is noble, everything has been construed, and instead sin is labeled as righteousness, sin is labeled as authentic, sin is labeled as good, and people pursue sin, and those who argue against it and say, no, this is not right, this is wrong, this is sinful, we as Christians are labeled as evil. We are labeled as bigots. We are labeled as prejudice. We are labeled as whatever label because we are declaring the truth that is coming from God and the world sees this truth as evil and instead defend their evil as good. So this, this is the will of God. The will of God is that we stand for the truth, is that we stand for what we believe and what is it that God has said and we do not give in to the perverted justice of the world which calls good evil and evil good. Also, it is the will of God that we have mercy. Also in the same verse, in, in verse 8, it says, And what does the Lord require of you but to love mercy? <clears throat> and you see here that God shows both aspects. That he shows, that, that he requires of us but to be just, meaning to label good and evil appropriately, but also to love mercy. It is, he is not a God that is only just, but he is also merciful. He does not want to punish us according to our sins. He does not want us to suffer because of our sins. He wants to save us. This is the whole story of the resurrection, is a story of his mercy. It, it, he is not just just only and nothing else. He is just and he is also merciful and forgiving. And he was able to forgive people even when condemning the sin. And this is difficult sometimes for us to acknowledge when we think about even what does it mean to be just. We can, we can accept a person and at the same time condemn the sins and their sinful lifestyle that they live. I can still show kindness to a person. I can still show mercy and forgiveness to a person and understanding and listening and, and having compassion on a person whom I disagree with, whom I believe is living in a, in a lifestyle of sin. God is, did this actually. When, 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 when Christ came and he was crucified for us, he didn't wait for us to be at a certain level of righteousness and then say, okay, they're good enough now. So now I will come and I will sacrifice myself for them. He did not. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. When we had done nothing redeeming, when he had, we had done nothing of, to be rewarded for, when simply we were still living in the same sin that we had lived in all along, and yet it was in the mind of Christ all along to save us because of his goodness, not because of our righteousness. So God wants us also to have mercy. God wants us to have mercy on one another. God wants us to look at those in front of us, no matter how much they have hurt us or offended us, and he wants us to have mercy on them, just as God has mercy on us. And the, the best way to do this is, is to examine ourselves. In what way am I in need of the mercy of God? And someone who is truly aware of their sins, someone who truly knows themselves and realizes the wickedness that lies in their heart, can never judge another person. It is impossible to judge another person. I cannot judge because I do all the same things that they do. And maybe we only judge when we are blind to this, when we don't realize that we do these things, when we think ourselves morally superior to another person. But we are not morally superior. Even we as Orthodox Christians are not morally superior. We have our own sins. And maybe we do a better job of hiding them. Maybe we do a better job of not letting them be known. But we, when we come to confession, we reveal our sins. We reveal the truth inside us. And every time we confess and hear ourselves saying the shameful things that we have done, to be reminded that we are sinners. The reason that we are saved is not because we are righteous people. 
We are saved because of the blood of Christ that he shed for us and because of the power of his resurrection that he allows us to be sanctified. He allows us to be transformed. He allows us to change. So God wants us to have mercy because he has mercy on us continually. It wasn't just a one-time act of mercy on the cross. It is a continual act of mercy every day and every moment because of our weaknesses and because of our sin. It is the will of God that we love mercy and we have mercy. It is also the will of God that we are humble. In the same verse also, what does the Lord require of you but to walk humbly with your God? To walk humbly. Humility is the greatest virtue. Humility is the greatest virtue because every other virtue can stem from humility. Humility is to see ourselves rightly. This is what humility is. Humility is not to see ourselves lower than we are or to self-deprecate. Humility is simply to have an accurate picture of who I am. That is what it means to be humble. Because we are humble not because we are bad. We are humble because we stand next to God. Right? Even the, the greatest person, the most righteous person, when they stand next to God, we look and say, well, this person is nothing compared to God. And so we have humility because we compare ourselves with the standard that God has set and with God himself. Any other sin other than pride can be, can, can be forgiven. Because any other sin, I can come and acknowledge it, I can ask for forgiveness and God will forgive me. But the sin of pride prevents us from confession. The sin of pride allows us or makes us to always defend ourselves, to defend our sin, to defend what it is that we do, to defend our thoughts. And I'm always defending myself and I'm never acknowledging my sin, then I will never confess and I will not be forgiven because God has not seen a repentant heart in me, that I have not been humbly. I have, walked, I have not walked humbly with my God, right? So, so we have to acknowledge this. We have to acknowledge that why is it God wants us to be humble? He wants us to be humble because he wants to remind us that we were created from dust, that it is not we ourselves who created ourselves, that we are not strong, that we are, are not intelligent, that we are not powerful. We are none of those things. God is the one who is powerful. He created us with his power. And if any of us exhibits power, it's because we are created in his image. And at any moment, he can remove that power from us. I mean, if you, if you try to imagine that the reason our hearts beat is because God is actively making them to beat. They're not beating on their own. They're not beating because we know how to live on our own. They are, they are, they are beating because God makes them to beat. And in any moment, if he chooses to stop making them to beat, then we die. This is the power of God. This is the love of God. And this is why we should be so humble. Because God is the one who literally has our lives in his hands all the time. Finally, it is the will of God for we to be renewed day by day. He says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He wants us to be what? To present our bodies as a sacrifice and to not be conformed to the world, but to be renewed day by day. So it is the will of God that we are renewed day by day by day, every day that we are renewed. Okay? And the will of God is revealed to us in our renewal. What keeps us from knowing truly the will of God in all things? It is because we are not yet renewed as we should be. It is because we are still corrupt. Is that because we are still living according to the old man and not to the new man. 
you know, when we, when we live according to the will of God and we make sacrifices in order for us to live by the will of God, then we begin to hear the voice of God more clearly. Then God's voice is so clear and, and obvious to us and we, we really feel more and more His presence in whatever it is that we do because we are living according to this renewal. But when we live in a life of sin without repentance, we are separated from Him. We become separated from Him and this renewal process stops. So we have to always remind ourselves that it is the will of God that we will always be renewed. God wants us to grow in holiness. It is not the case that wherever level we are today is the level that we should be forever. No, God wants us day by day and year by year to grow, to grow in holiness, to grow in righteousness, to grow in the sacrifices that we give to Him because our love for Him deepens and grows. So this is the will of God. Okay. So in conclusion... As we said at the beginning, it is God's will for our salvation. In everything that God does, He wills for our salvation. He says in Hebrews 13, Now may the God of peace make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. Okay, So this is the will of God. He wants us to be complete in every good work. He wants us to do His will. And He is the God of peace. He's granting us peace as we we do all of this. So we should always remind ourselves, what is the will of God? And we, we go and ask so much, what does God want? What is the will of God? And God has revealed to us His will. And if we do this, if we do what is written here in the scripture, then we will find that knowing the will of God in the particular things that are important to me personally, it's going to be much easier for me to discern His voice. It's going to be much easier for me to have comfort it's going to be much easier for me to be patient and to wait for Him because in all the other ways that God has revealed His will to us, we struggle and we strive to accomplish it and to do it. But if I do not struggle and strive to do the will of God in these things, then when it comes time for me to make an important decision or to do something that I'm seeking for the will of God and I ask myself, where is the will of God? How do I know the will of God? Maybe I'll find that it's difficult for me to perceive it. It'll be difficult for me to know it because I'm not already living in the will of God. But when we live in the will of God, God will, will, will tell us and God will reveal to us His will. And glory be to God forever. Amen.